Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things, helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the girls at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This episode does not class as personal advice. It is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. People may also hold positions in the companies discussed. It's the Numbers Game, Episode 4. I'm Jace, and I'm here with Nick and Marty. Marty, you are an excited guy. Bring bring us up to speed on what's on this week. Well, you've got a visual on me, so you've got to go to YouTube to see just how excited I am. But we are going to talk about business, staying in our lane. I can't wait to talk more about it. Nick, welcome to the show, mate. Good to have you back. Thanks, gents. Great to be back. And I'm excited about this week's episode. More of a business focus, as Marty said. Um, one of the things I'm really interested to talk about is, is business right for you? Because it's not right for everyone, as mm. we've learned. And on the topic of business, I'm going to have a deeper discussion into how to set up a business and what you have to do to get it right. Let's play. Before we get stuck into talking about business, let's talk about reading the play this week. And first up, Nick, you're going to tell us your story. Something I found this week, another AFR article, as I was looking for the content um, for today, this one stepped out at me. Millions vanish into crypto world in high yield bond scheme. So get this for um, a well, well-oiled criminal operation. So sophisticated British criminals... What you would do is um, people are searching for for better returns on their money at the moment, particularly within bonds, whether it's a term deposit or a bond, you're getting around mid ones as a return at the moment. So what this 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 particular operation had done is they paid money to Google, so Google AdWords. Um, so they were paying to get uh, a lot of search engine activity. So if you searched uh, high yield paying bonds, these businesses would come up the top or these groups would come up the top. Uh, offering returns of up to 11.5%. As I said, the market's around 1.5% at the moment. So you can see why people are attracted. What would happen is people would search, come up, click. From there, they would provide their contact details and they'd be sent a PDS, which for those who don't know what that is, it's a product disclosure statement. Um, And the product disclosure statement would look like it came from a large company. So I'm going to suggest, I'm going to say Citibank, because Citibank was one of the companies that they were pretending to be. Individuals were sent the PDS about this investment. Um, they were then asked, well, they were then given a phone call from someone in Britain with a British accent um, pretending to be a Citibank employee and actual employee. So they're going on LinkedIn and getting people's details and ringing, ringing the, uh, the would-be investor and pretending they were such and such from, City, from Citibank. So Smart. people could actually jump on LinkedIn and see these people that were apparently talking to them. Next step from there was they would ask for a passport and a utility bill, which would give them what they needed to set up a crypto account. So they would set up a, a crypto account that was linked to um, the the Australian person's bank account and ask them to make an investment into two or three different bank accounts that were linked to a crypto account, which was in the would-be investor's name. 
because they'd sent the ID and the utility bill across. So these people made investments, money went into the crypto account, which they thought was theirs, controlled by the organisation, money gone. So pretty crazy stuff, I thought. So it brings up a couple of things that um, obviously crypto is on the on the on, on the rise at the moment and such a hot topic, but it also provides another vehicle for fraud. Um, and just don't, you know, people need to be aware that, you know, we spoke about this last episode, but mm. 11.5% as a bond rate, it's, it's 10 times what the market's paying or eight times what the market's paying. There's something not right there. And you don't give people your passport and you don't hand over utility bills to people you've never met online. So if the return's too good, there's a problem. There's a problem. Yeah. There's a problem. So thought that was really interesting. And, uh, you know, we, we, you know, running a business like ours, um, data security is ever so important. So, you know, I thought it was something worth bringing up and, you know, beware. Because some of these operations now, they're so, so well oiled that yep. you can see how people would just, wouldn't even be thinking about what mm. we're talking about now and we'll just go through the motions. Yeah. You know? Complete side note, but I've seen it happen with like ATO debts. Um, same thing though. Somebody calls up, you've got an ATO debt, it's a thousand bucks you need to pay now. And some people don't even think twice. They just go, okay, credit card over the phone and they put you through to somebody else. That person says they're from the ATO. You can hear a call center in the background. It sounds yep. semi-legit, but- yeah, happens. and people look at credibility, and some of these scams are so sophisticated in the way they're setting up that you know you get a you you get a scam email from a bank, and it it looks legit. You can pick mm-hmm. it out, like because we're in the industry, but to the everyday person, um, they can they can get gazumped pretty quick. Well, you're getting a C a Citibank uh, product disclosure right. statement sent to you, and you're getting someone who you think works at the organisation because you can even do a check on LinkedIn that's calling you with a British accent. You know, you've got. It's in in hindsight, it's easy to say don't do it, but you could easily see how mm. people would get um, would would fall into a trap. And once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, gone. Just on that, gone are the days where you can call the bank up and reverse. These days, it's all instant. So yep. really, as soon as you transfer that money, someone else can transfer it out. Uh, you know, within a matter of minutes. So yeah, that's. Uh that's scary stuff, but uh, I've uh, I've done some interesting uh, research in regards to some major tech losses to some of our tech giants this week over the last couple of weeks. Jeff Bezos from Amazon, $14.1 billion down. Can you believe that? $14.1 billion. Sticking with his strategy, there's no panic. He's still got $113.6 billion there. So it's doing okay. Is it, like, what, what would you? How was your week, honey? Uh, oh, you know, I've lost $14.1 billion. Do you think we should cook in tonight? <laughs> do you I'm, think I'm, it's relevant? Do you think it's relevant? Uh, do you think maybe there is something that he doesn't spend money on that week? I, I don't know. That's what I was thinking in my head. I go, and how would you sort of just unwind you just get your gold-plated helicopter and do a few laps around your you know 20 acre acreage it's it just does my head in warren buffett down uh 9.8 billion down to 80.3 billion he's still going to be able to buy a lovely shirt uh elon musk lost 8.9 billion down to 34.7 billion big hits but they're all continuing on with their strategy you know they all looking at the long-term play Five years, 10 years, 20 years, nothing changes. Again, respect the market, but, yeah, they know the market. But they're not half as pissed off as one of our listeners. Not not half as pissed off. Macca, I'm not going to say his real name, but he listened to episode one on budgeting and scanned his statements, guys, like we told him to do. And he found 
$660 that he's been fleeced from, and don't sue us Dropbox, Dropbox business, for something he set up <laughs> in a business account that he never used. And what had happened, and this is the interesting thing about the story of him going back, is he set up the account because he wanted to trial it, and he had a Gmail account, and then he was he was starting a business. So then he got a domain name, set up a new email, and cancelled that email account, went on holidays for two weeks, had put his credit card in the system, and two years later had found his six, 660 bucks down, $27.50 bucks 50, uh, yeah, a month. So I thought, Macca, good for you. You've done your budget. You've done the right thing. I thought, I better check mine. That Raz account that we've, we've been talking about, it's like a little investment account where it takes, um, you know, it takes it like it rounds up rounds to the up. dollar. Yeah, mm. it rounds up to the dollar. $2.50 charge for the last three years, I found. Had no idea. I thought I closed it off. Is it invested somewhere? No, no, I cancelled it. because I went. The, and, that was the what, the application fee or the, the yeah, admin fee? Yeah, they had an admin fee. And I, I thought, oh, wow. well, because I'm, I'm, I'm going, Macca, good for you. You know, you found this. Okay, I better just check mine just for the sake of what we've been talking about. Two bucks fifty. I go, just, it hurts. So, so again, we look at, you know, Warren Buffett and Elon Musk. Yeah, they're annoyed. But uh, yeah, Macca, he's just. <laughs> He's fuming, but he's happy that he listened to the show. So thank you for listening in, and uh, we're happy that you've saved yourself another 330 bucks a year. I don't want to sound like I'm a mechanic with the worst car on the road, but I did the same thing with my Apple. I noticed this Apple subscription coming out. I thought yep. it was my storage. Um, turns out I've been paying for Tech Life magazine for two <laughs> years. It's it's $20 a month. Um so I've got a lot of reading to do to catch up on uh, Tech Life. I've got 24 magazines uh, sitting on my iPad. But well, uh, <laughs> I have to chime in here because um, <laughs> I found just yesterday, uh, I haven't been to the gym for about six months. Obviously, COVID and the gym shut down and then I've been doing some other stuff. So the the charge stopped during COVID. I logged on to a credit card yesterday that I was um, paying the balance off and I saw that I was still being charged. So- I'm not, you're not alone. So I think that's three, at least two months they've been back. So it's cost me $100, but it happens. I had a mate, Dean, who busted his leg, but was still getting charged for a year. He goes, oh, well, I'll get back into my fitness once the leg gets better. Oh, mm. year, never used it. Oh, so geez. check your subscriptions. Well, mm. for me to try and turn this uh, into something more interesting than just our own losses on our, <laughs> on our subscriptions, I've, I'm going to try and make GDP sexy. So, for those playing at home, GDP is gross domestic product. Oh, I'm excited, Jace. I thought you would be. I thought it'd be right up your alley. And effectively, it's the monetary measure of the market value of finished goods and services produced within the borders of our country. So, Australian Bureau of Statistics has come out and said that last quarter we grew 3.1%. The quarter before that, we grew 3.4%. For the first time in the 60-year history of the GDP being measured, that's the first time I've had two quarters of 3% growth ever. That's encouraging. It is. So it's talking about the health of our country. GDP, when it's going up, it's good for workers, it's good for business. Um, it's the most, yeah. So overall, 2020 shrunk 1.1%, but we've just recovered 6% in two quarters. So do you think that is a, I actually don't know the answer to this, but is the assumption there, is it catch up from 2020 because of you know, places being shut down? and Yeah. So key drivers, people are cashed up. We've, we've come off 
ATO cash boost, job keeper, incomes have stayed consistent throughout, even though people may not have been working, they still got job keeper, sitting at home with nowhere to go and nothing to spend. But then as soon as the economy kind of turned back on, we came out of lockdown, you imagine nobody's gone overseas to throw their money overseas at, you know, the Bali, ho- uh, Bali accommodation or whatever. They're traveling local. So travel, recreation, hotels, cafes, healthcare, people are looking after themselves. They might be going to get a massage or getting their hair done so they look and feel good. Car sales. Imagine how much car sales are up and even the used car market. I think prices are up 30%. Home renovations and buying new homes and new home builds. So there's a lot of money being spent internally that's going to continue to prop up our economy. So I just wanted to share that GDP is up and uh, the economy is looking good. COVID's been good for us, you might argue. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, hello at thenumbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, riding the highs of the GDP story, let's bring it back down to earth with something I love, and you all know I love it, losing it, where you can learn off our mistakes and take the lessons on, yeah, how to do better and hopefully pivot to something more successful. And today we have Nick with a story for us, our chief loser today. Nick, <laughs> chief Sorry, loser mate, last that's... week as well. So <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like one of you gents need to lead the charge next week. But um, I've lost enough, mate. You go. More than happy to share this, uh, to share this story. Sorry, because I, I think it's. Um, I think it's so relevant. And talking to you guys, we've all had similar situations. So I'd be interested to get your feedback on it. But um, continuing with the business focus today, today is a very business focused uh, podcast. I want to talk about staying in your lane. And what I mean by that is not not on the freeway on your phone and, 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 and swerving, but staying in your lane in regards to what you're good at in, in business. And I think it's a great topic. And I Personally, I've, I've had some experience with this and um, our experience was was venturing into a completely different um, offering um, than what we did. So we were mortgage brokers um, at the time and we decided to start a property advice business. Why did we do that? We thought it would be a good idea. We thought there was money to be made and, and there was money to be made. I'm not discounting that at all. But I think, I think what's happened over the years is – I've realized that at the time at the time it seemed like the right decision but the more wiser I've got with business and I guess how I've seen our 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 core service uh, grow and how much I've seen that grow makes me wonder where we would have been today if we didn't deviate back then and you know I will say as I said earlier we did make some profits back then we don't have that business anymore uh, that business is long gone so Whilst we did it for a while and made a bit of money, um, we we did move it on. But what was the opportunity cost of of going down that path, putting resources into that business, which was completely different to what we did? And you know, we talked about this yesterday. Um, diversification, and it's okay to diversify, but it's got to be something that's complementary to what you do generally. And you know, we have done that now with uh, financial planning and insurance, but that is very complementary. To, to the mortgage business and going into property advice, we had no experience in it other than dealing with our own clients and it just made me think where would we be today seeing how quick we can accelerate our growth now if we didn't spend six, six to eight years, I think it was, on that business. So um, I think it's important for people to understand that. 
Bloody entrepreneurs. This is the thing. we uh, I talk about relevant diversification and I'm one of those on- entrepreneurial type people. You're doing something really well and you always think you can, you see an opportunity in the market, you think you can do something better on that side and you incorporate. But just what Nick said, I did exactly the same thing. Mortgage broking industry, uh, clients starting to ask, I wish you could sell our properties. You guys, mm. yeah, we trust you guys. Hey, that's a great idea. Good commissions. We can provide a great service. We got distracted. And like you said, you don't know how much that distraction actually costs. And really the right move was to add another mortgage broker in our lane. If it's swimming or on the track, you get disqualified when you go out of the lane, right? So it's it's very much here. Know your lane and really drive it when it's working well. It's sometimes the simple things that keep connecting and keep growing, keep keep building mm. that makes all the difference. And I think that distraction, um, it's hard to ascertain the cost, but I've certainly, I empathise, Nick, because I've been there as well. See, I, I, I get what you mean by staying in your lane, but what I found that when I'm talking to people about their tax and they're really stressed out, it helps me to sell them a bottle of gin so they can drown their sorrows about how much tax they have to pay. Complimentary. Different. Uh- <laughs> It complements your gotcha. your service. Yeah. So um, whereas you got you focusing on trying to sell property took away from focusing on growing the broking business. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's uh, I'm going to I'm going to th- refer to a book again because I think everyone must read this book. Uh, anyone that's in business, and it's good to great by Jim Collins. I think a lot of our um, listeners uh, who are in business would have already read it. But he calls it the hedgehog theory. So when when you look at the companies that went from good to great versus uh, what they called um, the comparison companies, the ones that didn't. The the three things they found, number one, the good to great companies focus on passion. Uh, number two, understand what you can be the best in the world at. So, you know, I'm not saying we're going to be the best mortgage or financial planning business in the world, but do we have the ability to do that? Probably. Did we have the ability to do that in property? No, we didn't. We didn't really know what we were doing. And at the same time, understand what you can't be the best in the world at. And number three, what drives the engine for the best economic outcome? So what are the tweaks that you know you can make for the best economic outcome? And it's probably within your own business and what you do well, not trying to start a completely different business. So yeah, hedgehog theory, Jim Collins, good to great. I think what you said at the start that this was a business-focused episode or business-focused part of the podcast, but I think that applies to individuals not necessarily owning a business. If you work in a business but you need to be the best you can be in that role. Yeah, that's, I'm a big advocate of that. Um, I see so many people you know, disgruntled in their current role and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. And I always, my advice is to dominate the role you're in, be the best you can be in the role that you're in, because it's amazing what doors open when you're when you're displaying those behaviours and attitudes in the role. So it's if you think... It's going to be better when you're in a different role and that's your approach that you just want to get away from where you're at. It's always the same. You're going to carry those same attitudes and behaviours and you're going to have the same struggles. So I always say to professionals that are employees, be the best you can be where you're at. Dominate it. Um, So if you're not playing well in the twos, you can't expect it to get a call up to play in the ones. Well, that's right. You've got to be making hundreds in the twos to get that call up, right? And, And look, it's very rare. There are the odd people that find the right environment um, and the right skill set that sometimes they, 
you know, you, you can go off that course a little bit, but generally I've always seen what happens in this role happens in the next one as well from a behavioural point of view. So I think it's important to be the best you can be where you're at. Got a question? Email us. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. Now it's time for the one percenters, the small things that give you massive impact, both in business and personally, Marty. Yeah, and I'm really interested here, Jace, because you know, you've started a business and I want to know from you, how did you discover a gap in the market that you saw that could be a real great potential to start a business? What was the proviso of that? Well, I think it's a, a way a lot of businesses start, Marty, is that people work as employees and they think they can do it either better than their boss or, or they're frustrated with the way the industry is being done or run. And and Greg and I were were exactly the same. We, we were two accountants many years ago and we started a, an accounting firm as a side hustle called RB Tax. And we, we would come together after work and just be frustrated with, oh, you know, technology is not up to date with where it needs to be. People aren't getting appreciated and valued. They're being charged too much for the services. And we basically started where all good businesses should start, and that's putting together a business plan. And as lame and boring as that may sound, is the reason that, that businesses can be successful I find is when they've started with a strong plan from the very start by identifying a gap in the market and then figuring out all the bits and pieces and the intricate parts that go into that puzzle to to get to market to take their product or service live. What was the gap you discovered? What was the thing you could see that you could do better? Relationships. I think um, yeah. accounting, accounting and what we offer is trying to make it easy for people to understand having a relationship with your accountant or your advisor and paying the right price for it. I think there's a lot of people out there that are ripped off and charged a lot of fees and don't get a lot of return for what they're paying for. And we just stripped it right back to the start and said, well, how do we provide a service where we get paid appropriately for the value we give, but a client also feels comfortable picking up the phone and calling us or sending an email and wants to have a relationship with their advisor? Because that's where we find the best outcomes happen is when when clients are comfortable talking to their advisor, whether it's their accountant, their broker or or whatnot, but that was the gap we identified and and that was where we started to bolt it all together from there. So how long did it take before you knew you wanted to run the business to when you took action to do it? Because that's a that's always a, it's a courageous step and it's not an easy one for people to take. You have you generally have this idea for a while, but what was the time frame for you? Look, a couple of meetings over several beers <laughs> or Greggy was into his scotch and cokes, but and that was just to hash out all those extra finer details because I think what, you know, when you go into business, a lot of the stuff that you don't take into consideration is what's my structure? Am I going to be a company or a trust? You know, most people start as a sole trader. They register an ABN online and, and a business name and away they go. Um, so we started with that. We wanted to map out the correct structure for us. So fortunately, as two accountants in the room, we didn't have to go and seek further advice from someone else. But yeah. structure was amongst one of the first things because we can't really start going out and registering our domain and getting insurance and doing all those things that come next until you have your ABN. So, so what do you think if someone's starting their own business, what's the better structure to stay? If they're an employee going into a business and they want to test the business out, uh, what do they? What do they do? What's the, what's the first step on structure? Very general and yep. at a very high level. The the bees knees structure is always going to involve a company and a trust. Now a company gives you asset protection. It's got a capped tax rate of twenty six percent and going lower, um, and it gives you that flexibility of of minimising your tax and protecting your assets because the company is its own legal structure. It's not it's not Marty V out there with his ABN. It's 
MV Proprietary Limited running the business. So you're separating your stuff and your house stays safe if all goes to plan. The reason the trust is involved is either the trading trust or an ownership trust is same thing. It's it's giving you flexibility into distributing to family members to lower your tax um, or to trade through that entity to take the money out without you know worrying about paying wages to yourself if you are an individual. So um, most people though, Marty, will start as a sole trader. They'll, they'll register an ABN. It's the cheapest and most cost effective. Um, a lot of people don't want to jump into registering a company and a trust and spending thousands of dollars when they're not quite sure that they're going to be able to prove their concept and get their product or, or service out there and, and be successful. So they have the mindset of, look, I'm not going to spend a couple of grand yet. I'm going to test the model and get an ABN, which is free to do online or a couple of hundred bucks through an accountant. Um, and then from there, prove the concept. And what I'd always say to, to people that come on to, come to us with sole trader ABN is if you've proven the concept, it's time to restructure. You don't want to stay like that for too long because that's when if something does go wrong and you get sued as a sole trader or, or you know, you can lose it all and you can lose uh, your home. Okay. So it's on you. Yeah. 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 It's on you. And outside of um, structure, then after that, it became, you know, registering for GST. So we knew, you know, as I think you touched on it in one of the early episodes, is that most small businesses make about 60, 60 to 70,000 on average. Now, as a small business, if you don't turn over more than 75,000, you don't have to register for GST. So it's taking away another complexity. But should you? Should you anyway, be given the market if it's going to expand or it, does, it doesn't really matter? As soon as you know you're going to turn over more than 75000 basically you have an obligation to register for GST. Yep. So if you go, yep, cool, I'm on track, I'm trending towards seventy five, you should register for GST. And I think also, in a weird way, it looks professional. Like if, if you go out and you give somebody the invoice and it's GST free and, you know. It- I don't think that's weird at all because the, the, the minute you see no GST, you know they're not turning over more than 75000 and that's turnover. That's, we're talking about growth. So I think um, I would struggle to understand there wouldn't be many businesses that are not registered for GST in this day and age. Oh, there's a few. But unless, I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, but then I mean, you've got like Uber, Uber drivers have to be registered for GST. Taxi drivers have to be registered regardless of turnover. But yeah, there's not a lot that don't turn over more than 75. And one of the big ones that, you know, it, through talking to a lot of people before starting the business, and and this probably throw to you guys for your thoughts on this. Um, I mean, I love the sound of my own voice, but having a business so partner, I, <laughs> having a business partner was one of the things that a lot of people came to me before starting the business and went, "Don't don't you just want to go it alone? Like you know, you you like doing your own thing. You know, why do you want to have a business partner?" And I identified having gaps that, that I couldn't fill and, and having a business partner complemented the things that I wasn't good at. Um, but, I mean, it can be complicated. It causes issues and, you know, it can cause arguments, can lose friendships. Have you guys had any experience with business partners that you could touch on there as well? Um, look, yeah, look, I've, I've had numerous business partners over the time and, um, you know, some, some are still in partnership, some aren't, but it's, it, I wouldn't say it's caused massive issues. I think um, – I think when you choose your business partner, it's. I think you're right. You, you've got to look at how do we complement each other, mm. and you can't predict. And this is the this is the thing. Like we all grow as as humans so much. So you can't. You can be on the same page as someone in 2021, and be in a completely different page in 2026, and you can't predict that. So, you know, I, I don't think it should stop stop you getting a business partner. 
um, the disadvantages it could have in time because you can't predict that. You just make the decision at the time, but you have to complement each other. And um, one of the things uh, I think is you can have different skill sets. You know, there's got to be the yin and the yang. You've got to have, you know, someone that's gung-ho and you've got to have someone that's a little bit more conservative to bring him back into line Um, or someone who's good at sales and someone who's good on the – on the accounting and the book side, but look for look for people that can complement um, what you do, and you know where you can almost balance each other out. Is the advice I'd probably give. Yeah, and I I would say that um, any success in business I've had has been relative to the other business partners and the teams. I mean the the incre- working with incredible people, always looking for great talent that. You know, either complement you or have skill sets stronger than you in certain areas to me. And I think the key with business partners is to always have uh, professional respect and knowing that lane that we talk about, knowing where your strengths lie and knowing where their strengths lie as well. I think that's that's really relevant. I mean, the proudest thing for me is in, in the businesses is all those business partners have remained really good friends because we always went out on a high. And even when we didn't disagree about when we disagreed about something, it would always be relevant. So I had enough professional respect, and I think it was vice versa, that if someone was uncomfortable, there was a reason for it. It yeah. wasn't just they were annoyed. It was there was there, we needed to pay more attention to the situation, which I thought, like Nick said, the yin and the yang, it's really vital. If something's not right in your gut, there might be someone that's more logical and logistical that comes in with the answer that fills that gap mm. for you. So for me, that's really important. And yes, you can do it on your own because you've got full control. And I know some business owners really like that because they can implement their own ideas and that's not, there isn't anything wrong with that. But there's something about a collaborative approach in a business when it comes together. It's almost like one plus one yeah. equals ten. It's um, it's hard to describe. It's a subtlety to it. But, yeah, when you've got people on the same page and they're rowing in the same boat together, bringing skill sets, other skill sets as one, it um, you could certainly expand very quickly. So for me, I'm an advocate of business partners. Um, but I said, know your lane way, know mm. where your strengths are, yep. know where your weaknesses are, you know, fill those gaps, build a great team around that leadership group. And I think you're, you're going to be doing pretty well in most cases. I think um, the other thing is that, that comes to mind and, you know, I can say that, you know, I'm, I'm proud in our business that we have this, but it's the accountability aspect mm. too. You know, it's so hard to be out there on your own, not being accountable to, be, to anyone. And I, I, I know that I think about it in our business that, geez, I'm accountable to these guys now because, you know, I've brought partners in and, you know, I answer, we all answer to each other. So, I wouldn't say you would slack off, but you don't really have the ability to slack off as long as you've got the right team and everyone's, you know, driving towards the same goal. You now have two or three people that you're accountable to and, you know, that should generally um, give uh, better results. And, and that's why it's the right team because this is – I've heard Nick say that, but that's unspoken. Mm. Mm. We don't we don't say we need to be accountable. It's happening because we have professional respect for each other and we have a, a, a respect for the business. So that that when you hear someone say that, like I go, I feel exactly the same way. But we don't sit there going, "All right, what are we accountable for here?" It, yeah. it, it we we just are. We we have that as people. So because we don't want to let each other down, we don't want to let the business down, we don't want to let ourselves down as well. So it shows you that strength in that is, um, and it doesn't always happen that way. 
but it shows you how powerful that can be. How, how do you think about it in regards to, like, I mean, you've brought a business partner on with that has you know, traits that are going to add value to you and vice versa. Do you have any concerns around that down the track? Are you excited to add to that? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I think as well, well, now with Greg and Shelley, the three of us are extremely different and have different skill sets. And I think what we learned over time was actually documenting that down and knowing what lane we stay in, what role we fit and and how it all works and gels with the business. I think in the past, you know, when you fly a bit blind and everyone's doing the same role multiple times, it becomes hard. But I, I took it back with setting up the business as thinking that you'd never build a house without having a, a good set of plans on how the house all comes together from the foundation right up to putting the, the roof on and, and the fixtures and fittings inside. And I treat the business the same way is that when you've got a good plan on how it's going to come together, then the business should be successful. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you a question and it was going to be uh, how much value do we give to business plans? Because there's, I know I'm changing topics here a little bit, but there's so there's so many conflicting um, conflicting views on business plans. You know, it needs to be six pages. No, you just do it on a 1A4 page. You just write it on a tissue if that works for you or a napkin because the tissue probably won't even work. But um, what's what's your view? Do you, do you think people should have a business plan? Should it be something that's war and peace or, you know, like, yeah, talk us through it. Yeah, definitely. Good question. I 100% think you need a plan of some sort. And even if it's as basic as something written down on a napkin and pinned to the wall at home that you see when you walk out of the house in the morning or in the office, especially if you've got a team. If you have a team and you don't have a business plan that you can articulate and share with your team, your team don't have a roadmap to work towards and, and to know where they're headed. So I think a business plan... And goals are part of that. I mean, writing down why the business exists and having goals is a big part of your business plan. And then knowing who you need to hire, what the culture and the values of your organization are going to be. The most successful companies in the world have all that stuff covered. If you don't write that down or don't try and plan out what you want your business to look like, how are you going to be able to get all that to come together? Because there's an insane amount that goes into running a business from you know, structure to insurances to employees, um, p- taxes. I mean, we're not even scratching the surface of, of how much goes into running a business. Yeah. Um, and for me, the business plan and goals. I mean, knowing where you want to get to keeps you kind of getting up in the morning and going back to it because running a business is hard. Well, it's, it's really a, difficult. It's a check-in point for us. And, um, you know, we, we don't put a lot of effort into it, to be honest, um, when I say – a business plan, we have probably a set of tasks that we need to tick off within a particular time frame. So we do a 12-month one mm-hmm. and we catch up monthly. And it just gives us a checkpoint. It's almost like a financial plan for a client. Yep. It's a checkpoint. This is what we're going to do. How do we do it? Do we need to push something back? So um, it's really powerful for, our, for us to catch up on a monthly basis and just say, okay, what were we going to do? We didn't do it. What do we need to do next month to make sure it's done? Or do we need to push it back a couple of months and yeah, if anything, it just keeps us in line with what the what the plan it does. was. It, keep, it keeps the focus for me. I, I go. I know in the first business, I, I did a business plan, and I looked. <laughs> I looked five years later, and it was amazing how much it shifted from that original plan. But it gave an immediate focus to task out, like Nick was saying, and yeah, momentum will take it in different directions with pivots here and there. Mm. But it was it, it was more so for yourself to just structure and focus yourself as to where you wanted to put your energy, and then you could you know you can map it mm. out month to month. And being and that was- being numbers focused as well, I think it would be you know not not good of me to not even mention it. 
cash flow forecast as part of that initial startup. I think you know a lot of businesses will fail at the start by not having enough cash to keep themselves going through that first one month, six months, twelve months, and you know we've talked about it time and time again and cash flow and budgets and all of that, but. If you don't know your numbers and where your first dollar is going to come from and then how much it's going to cost you to set up the business before you even start pulling the trigger to do it, you're already setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Well, the cash flow is your oxygen in business and, and um, you know, you can spend a lot of time eating soup with a fork, mate, you know, <laughs> in the wrong direction. So you can work hard and not go anywhere. So you, you need your business to breathe. So you have to focus on what are the fundamentals of bringing that revenue in. And then again, from my standpoint, I go, I and I've talked about this in previous episodes, where you go, once you've got the revenue in, you can bring additional qualities with that revenue on how you want to get the business out there and expand. But um, definitely, yeah, I mean, cash flow is such an important thing in business people you know businesses die pretty quickly if you don't utilize it you don't make it and then you don't utilize it effectively so that's um that's a big one yeah 100 and if anybody wants a copy of a good business plan template and cash flow forecast feel free to hit us up hello at the numbers game and i'll get that over to you so jace you spoke about uh business partners so would you know and you know marty talked about understanding everyone's strengths would you go as hard as far as saying you know this is everyone's job description not not your staff but your business partners as well i think it's important i think it's like having clearly defined roles as to what you're doing why you're doing it and then being able to to sit with your business partners and show that you're accountable for those roles because once again as a business owner i think you know marty we've talked about how many hats you wear as a business owner and if you try and do every single role that exists in the business, especially when you have business partners and you're stepping into other people's lanes and doing other people's jobs, it's not going to be the most efficient way to run a business. So, yeah, Nick, to be honest, you've you got to write down what role you're playing and, and stick in your lane and get the job done to be accountable to your business partners. Excellent. I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, a SWOT analysis. So, you know, a SWOT analysis is something everyone will know about, but it's when you put one together – it's actually quite a difficult, uh, quite a difficult process. Would you? Is that something you would encourage people to to do as part of the, the business plan? Do you help your clients do that? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So strength, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So for then anyone who wasn't sure what a SWOT was, um, definitely the start of a business. You want to know what your weaknesses are and and if there's any threats to you starting your business. Opportunities as well. So you've identified things that you might get into. We re- revisit it annually and okay. then we turn anything that we think needs to be turned into an action from that becomes a task that someone within the organization has to do to then earn the reward of like an annual retreat or a bonus or a getaway. Um, so, your SWAT plays a huge role and part of our business and same thing with our clients. We'll talk to them and be like, you know, that they need to do it internally and it's not just the business owner that does the SWAT, it's getting your team involved to say what they think is a weakness of the organization is a real eye-opener and and very confronting, but very worthwhile. Excellent. Your team around you, so your team outside of your business. So if, if I look at our business now, and I'm talking our team outside of our business, um, we outsource our marketing, we outsource our legal, we have the bank, even though we do finance, we have a banker. Um, we have photographer for, for corporate photos um, where we have an accountant obviously so is your team something that you should get together at the start because these are all these are all skills and expertise that you need 
um, in starting a business, should you be talking to each of these people to understand, you know, the legalities, understand what marketing might cost, what are the areas you need to focus on? I know all this stuff costs money and it's not always um, it's not always economical to go and do this before you start business, but is it highly important or do you think people can sort of pick these relationships up as they go along? I think it's both. It's It's getting to understand what relationships you're going to need. And if it's out of your reach at the start, finding a way that you're going to need to wear that hat as the business owner. So I didn't draw my own logo. I didn't create the logo. We outsourced that to a graphic designer. I can't draw. I'm an accountant. Um, Left-handed, but not that creative. Um, So we have social media outsourced, all those things that you kind of touched on as well. But for example, back at the very start, I had a passion for websites and SEO. So I tried to put our first website together and tried to do our you know, version one of SEO. Um, and it worked for the first couple of months. But then as the income started to come in, I looked at where I my time was better off used and how I could generate more income by not posting blogs onto the website. I had to get somebody else to do that. So I definitely think knowing your team around you, and, and I think, you know, lawyer is an example of one up front that a lot of businesses won't get, but they should have a conversation with a lawyer from the get-go and, and form a relationship because- a shareholder agreement is something that a lot of mm. businesses don't have, mm. but you're going to need one one day and you should do it as soon as possible to protect the business and what you're working towards. Yeah, I think often um, often those outside parties can create opportunity for you too. You know, it's all about building your network. Network. I've got, I've got a question for you, Jace. How do you attract your the client that you want? What's, what's one strategy you utilise to attract that good client? That's a good question. So knowing knowing the client that we want to go after means our tone, our language, our colors, and the message that we're putting out is very much catered towards a particular client. So it's not to say we can't work with a 60-year-old, for example, but we know we work really, really well with the 25 to 45-year-old market. They're, they're our people. It's who we work with. It's who we communicate really well with. So all of our branding, our messaging, and our marketing predominantly talks to people that fall within that. If I surveyed my mum and dad and their friends about our brand, they generally don't look at future advising and go, oh, yeah, I feel comfortable picking up the phone and calling them because it's a little bit outside of their comfort zone because we look a little bit different. And, you know, sometimes it looks like I'm not wearing socks, but they're just invisible socks, Marty. You touched on that earlier. Yeah. Any, anyone over 45, the, the socks are very unique for this other demographic. I'll have to share that another day. I have, uh, I have one more question, maybe you don't mind. Um, sure. And this is something we spoke about the other day, and it's um, p- particularly when you look at the stats of how many businesses fail. But mm. business is obviously not for everyone. And, you know, we look at even though we take time off, when you're a business owner, you live and breathe it. And even when, when I take time off, I do not stop thinking about my business. And I know Marty's the same, and I know you would be the same. Um, so I think, I think bringing together all of this analysis and whether it's a, a business plan or a SWOT analysis, but the more you give yourself an understanding of what it's going to look like for you mm-hmm. based on your industry, you can quickly work out whether or not it's the right thing as well. Because for some people, you can make more, like based on the, the industry, you can actually make more money on a PAYG role and working for someone. And do you, do you ever sit down with people and say, look, it's just not the right move or it's not for you and you can actually do just as well Without all the other, I'm going to say headaches because it does create headaches. Great opportunity, but um, you need to work bloody hard. So, mm. do you ever sit down with people and say, "This is probably not the right move for you," and continue doing what you're doing? Yeah, I do and I actually go back to your hedgehog 
um, points one, two, and three, focus on passion. If that person can't convince me that they should have a business because they're passionate about what their business is doing, that's pretty much the only time I'll start to have that conversation. But if you're sitting in a room with a business owner that's passionate and just hasn't found out exactly how to be the best at what they want to be the best at, then it's about focusing on how to help them do that. But it comes down to passion. If you don't genuinely enjoy what you're doing and the business you're running, you shouldn't be there. That's and then that's that's point. when I'll have that conversation. Great point. I mean, enthusiasm for what you do. Um, there's so much effort that goes into a business, and we've spoken about this previously. It um, It is 24-7, and we think about it all the time. And I almost think you have to be wired that way because, you know, sometimes when you want to spend time with your family, you're, you're working because you need to keep the business alive. And, uh, I mean, I'm very fortunate. I have a very understanding family that support that because they know who I am and it, you know there are benefits that come with that as well. We talk about how hard business is, but also we uh, to be optimistic about it. When it works well, you get opportunities in life that you just wouldn't see. You get to travel, you get to have great experiences. You can you know you know, buy lovely shirts like Jason has. They're, they're, but they're, but they're lovely experiences that you can have. So there is there is upside and autonomy and flexibility within that. But you have to decide whether you're wired that way as well, because it's very rare I'm not thinking about the business. And in fact, you know, I I have to really work hard to make sure when I have personal time that that's allocated for personal time because it can quickly come into, oh, there's this idea or I'll write down something that I think might be handy for one of the team. And it's uh, it, it's just creature of habit. So, but I love it. it. It's it's who I am. I live and breathe it, and that's what you talk about with passion. I live and breathe business. Uh, I just that's who I am. So I accept that, and I know they're like people say sacrifices, but sacrifices is to kill. So I don't think it's necessarily that harsh. Mm. I think it's just accepting that that's the way you wired, knowing it's a lot of effort, and just just going for it and keep going for it. And when you have something that sets you back, you get back up, you go again. And, um, yeah, I love it. I'd be interested to see your thoughts, Nick, on it because um, you've been in business a long time too. And Yeah, yeah. I, I think the same and I'm like you. I, I, I love it and it's it becomes part of your life whether you like it or not, um, as in whether you're trying to make it part of your life or not. It just does it. It's all consuming. So, you know, I, I think you really need to be prepared for that and you need to be honest with yourself if that's not you. Um because, you know, I'm very good at taking time off, but as I said, I'm still thinking about the business. Mm. So I think you just need to be honest with yourself and, you know, you need, you need to fit into so many shoes, when, particularly when you start a business, you know, you become an expert in every field. Um, so, you know, I just think an understanding of that uh, before you go into business is highly mm. important. And you know your drivers as well. Like, I mean, for me, you know, we had a, a milk bar back in the 80s in Pasco Vale, and I always remembered we worked really hard in that small business. But um, when we did well, the bank manager would come and the interest rates would go up mm. because we were doing well. So for me, that just from that primal driver to put people in a better financial circumstance comes from a very core position of my own family and going, I want people to be best empowered, saving money, setting up their futures. So I know that driver is where that passion comes from. It's, it's very intimate to me, but I, I have people's best interest at heart on that. And that's something that I've always, I've carried right through my career. And that reason to exist, like from passion and, you know, you always hear talk about your why. 
I mean, breaking it right back down to that business plan, we wrote down that we exist to help people have better financial futures. And then we we sat there as a team and went, what if, you know, what if they're not fully financially driven? Why don't we just help them to have better futures, whatever that looks like? Just brighter futures. Yep. And I know that our team talks about that's why they come to work. And if, you know, those are the kind of things that you work on when setting up, setting up a business and then having a business plan, you wouldn't think that you could create a sentence that makes people want to come to work. But for us, that passion, that's what it's all about. Yep. I agree. Yep. And no one ever forgets when you, you know, you fund them into their home. It's- that's right. I think, I think um, we're going down a rabbit hole here, but I think the passion, it, it, you know, we're talking about teams and leadership and you've got to be passionate. If you're not, your clients will know it and your team will know it, and then you generally won't succeed. You've been with us for episode four of The Numbers Game. Marty, what was your key takeaway today? My key takeaway was a business is not always easy, but you've got to be passionate, you've got to be driven, you've got to plan, and you've got to move forward regardless. And you've got to be that way wide. Beautiful, Marty. Mine was stay in your lane. So understanding what you can be the best at and what are the key economic drivers of your business and making sure that you're doing everything you can to make sure you're uh, you're triggering those drivers and nothing else outside of that. And look, in keeping with the making sure people have a better financial future, I want to touch back on Macca's story about how he saved himself 600 bucks. Well done, Macca. I've got back $240 a year from my Apple subscription to magazines and Nick's cancelled a gym membership. So don't forget that you can get really good outcomes from simple things like checking your budget. 